Welcome to the Word of God podcast. I'm Father Reed Henserling, and we are in proper 12, and we're going to be looking at three main biblical texts from the books of 2 Samuel, Acts, and Mark. Now, we will be in 2 Samuel for several weeks, and we have been in Acts for several weeks, and we are now in the book of Mark. We came out of Luke uh, with the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, and then we start right into the book of Mark in chapter 1, and now we will be looking at chapter 6 through chapter 8, 1 through 10. Now, as you listen to this podcast, let me share a couple of thoughts with you before we look at 2 Samuel. Now, the idea is to read the Holy Scriptures on a daily basis, and you'll find a complete list of the lectionary readings at, in the description of this post. So as you look at the description of this post, you'll find the lectionary readings for each day. And I try to read first thing in the morning, get my lectionary book out that has the text written, but of course I'm sure most of you are using your Bibles, looking up the text and reading them. Read them slowly, read them carefully. And what we're trying to do over a year's time is look at the Old Testament, the New Testament epistles, and then the New Testament gospels. And as we go through the scriptures, sometimes you get a connection between the three in a day, but oftentimes not, there's not a connection. You just want to get a feel for the text. And what I do in this podcast is share with you some thoughts about each of the different uh, sections, 2 Samuel, Acts, and Mark. Obviously, we don't have time to look at each of them in any detail at all. So I hope that you have a good time reading this coming week. 2 Samuel. Well, what happened at the end of 1 Samuel is that the first king, Saul, died. He literally fell on his sword in battle. And this was a sorrowful situation for the people of Israel. They wanted a king, and God did not want to give them a king. He is their king, or was their king at least, a theocracy. But they wanted to be like the other nations. And so in being like the other nations, they asked for a king. God relented and gave them Saul. Samuel, the prophet, anointed Saul, and Saul became king. Problem was, Saul sinned against the Lord by disobeying him. What that means is that God told him through the prophet Samuel to do certain things. And he did not do those things. And so the Lord in 1 Samuel 16 anointed another leader and his name is David. So when we look at 2 Samuel, we are going to be dealing with David, the great King David. So 2 Samuel 1.17 through Saturday is 2 Samuel 6.11. Now, as you read through this, obviously, I, again, I'm not going to go through each of these sections with you in, in, in detail. But again, we are in a history book. Now, what that means is there's a lot more uh, text, a lot more narrative. 
Now, what you want to get out of the history books is a feel and some kind of understanding of what the people of Israel and the leadership went through in this time. What you're looking for theologically is to understand how God worked through these leaders and prophets to get the people to do what he wanted them to do. Now, remember, the reason this is all happening is because God is going to deliver the Messiah. And as we'll see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when we get to 2 Samuel 7, that Messiah is going to come through the line of David. This is extremely, extremely important. And that person, as you know, is eventually going to be Jesus Christ, is who we see come into the scene uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in 2 Samuel, we have the situation where David hears of the death of Saul. We spoke about that last week. And this person died as a result of that. And so then David laments, beginning in verse 17. David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jazar. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. Verse 19, how the mighty have fallen. And then he continues this poetry and talks about how the mighty have fallen, verse 27, and the weapons of war perish. So it's a lament. There's actually a book called Lamentations after Jeremiah, and they are laments, they are, they are sorrow. So the people of Israel, in dealing with God, dealt with all the emotions, anger, fear, lust, rage, joy, sorrow, and you see that in the book of the Old Testament. David is anointed king of Judah in chapter 2, 1 through 11. After this, David inquired of the Lord, verse 1, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said to which shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. So he went up there. And the men of Judah, verse 4, came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now remember, he was anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. Now, Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth is made king of Israel. We see that in verses 8 through 11. And then there are battles. Now, when you're reading the book of 2 Samuel, there are lots of battles. There is lots of strife. There are surrounding nations. Israel is not free of all of these nations that are located in the land that God gave them, the land of Israel. And so you have to be a very strong leader and warrior in order to be king in this area, in this region. Now we are looking at about 1000 BC. 1000 BC. And so David was a very, very, very gifted leader, and he was a very, very gifted warrior. And what you're going to see in chapter 3, for example, sample, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. I mean, that, there's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, where there's a battle even within Israel's own house, not to mention the surrounding nations. 
So it's hard enough as it is to take care of the surrounding nations. Now you're fighting against your own people. But they're fighting to see who would ascend, the house of David or the house of Saul, the former kingdom or the present kingdom. And so David eventually is going to win out and people are going to die as a result of it. It's brutal. It's just brutal. I don't know how, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. So as you're reading it through, you might be a little bit horrified by what you're reading. But David needed to be a strong warrior to keep Israel intact, and God was with him. And you will see uh, that Abner is going to join David, Joab is going to murder David, and then David is going to mourn Abner. And then in the fourth chapter, you're going to see that Ishbosheth is going to be murdered. Ishbosheth is Saul's son. He heard that Adam, uh, Abner had died at Hebron. His courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. Now, the idea that a leader dies, perishes, or loses a battle is a big deal because the people of Israel are going to suffer because the leadership failed them. So it was up to the leaders, the warriors, the generals, the persons that were in charge. In this case, it's going to be David. And if he is victorious, the people of Israel prosper. If he fails, the people of Israel fail and they suffer. Now, what's interesting about the Old Testament and 2 Samuel, as well as other parts of the Old Testament, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and even 1 Samuel, history books, all of them, is that there was a theological element attached. So as you're reading, look for that theological element. Look for not just a history lesson, but God Almighty speaking in terms of praise or cursing, obedience, disobedience. Look for that. You'll also see a, an expanded concentration and discussion on each of these leaders' families and how the families suffered and how the families stayed together there was a lot of injustice, and there was a lot of death, quite frankly. There was a lot of shed blood. Now, I said that Ishbosheth was anointed king of Israel. In chapter 5, in chapter 5, David is anointed king of Israel. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Ebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Ebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Ebron before the Lord, and they anointed David over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. There's the history right there. At Ebron, he read, reigned over Israel, uh, Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So Israel was to the north, Judah was to the south, and this is the length of his reign. In chapter 6, we have the ark being brought to Jerusalem. He gathered the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, verse 1. And they carried the Ark of God, verse 3, on a new cart, brought it to the house of Abinabab, 
which was on the hill, Yuza, were driving the cart with the ark of God. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals. They were very, very excited about the ark coming to Jerusalem. This was a very, very significant event. And when they came to the threshing floor, Yuza put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza, and God struck him down because of his error, and he died there behind, beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Yuza. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and night. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, verse 10 of chapter 6. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And so we'll pick this up next week in the ark of God coming to Jerusalem. This is very significant because you want Jerusalem. It's going to be the seat of power. So we see the beginnings of the reign of King David. And I hope you enjoyed those readings this coming week. Acts 15. In Acts, what, what's basically going on now is the missionary journeys of Paul. He makes three major missionary journeys. Acts 15.36 to Acts 17.34. Now, we talked about the Jerusalem Council last week, the Jerusalem Council at the beginning of 15. And we see at the end of 15 that Paul and Barnabas are going to separate because there are brothers in the city who proclaim the word of the Lord. Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Paul did not think that that was a good idea. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, and he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So I said last week, what you want to do is you want to look at your maps at the back of your Bible. You should have some. And see the places and trace the journey of Paul and his journeys in terms of evangelization of the churches and also his strengthening the churches, which is very smart. And as I said last week also, he begins to appoint elders and people that are going to lead uh, the churches. So you have, to, you have to go there and evangelize and preach the word. Then you have to strengthen those churches and pray for them. Ongoing intercessory prayer. Then you have to raise up leaders who will then shepherd and, and bless and lead and teach and preach and build up the body of Christ in those places. And Paul was very successful in doing that. In chapter 16... We have chapter 16, several days. Timothy joins Paul and Silas, the great Timothy, whom Paul wrote an epistle to. The Macedonian call in 16 and the conversion of Lydia. I love this verse. Verse 14 of 16. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's a great prayer for all of us in this Word of God podcast and study, that the Lord would open our hearts to pay attention to the Scriptures, pay attention 
to what the Word of God says. And so I, my prayer, this, it's a wonderful prayer for all of us each week. Lord, open our hearts that we would pay attention to what she was saying. Paul and Silas then go to prison, and the Philippian jailer is converted. Now, God did many great things with Paul, as you're reading this text through the week, in jails, in prison, in preaching, in ministering. And so the book of Acts, particularly the middle part, is very good as they go from place to place, and they begin to share the gospel, and you begin to see the humanity of Paul and the humanity of the people that he was working with. And you see how, for example, the Philippian jailer, watch what happens. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, verse 26, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. So God was literally setting Paul free, Paul and Silas. The, the jailer woke, saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew he would be dead if these guys got out. He would be killed. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, Paul cried out, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before, before Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? Great question. What must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. That is a very famous text. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household. So there's the answer to how one is saved. We continue on to chapter 17, where Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica. So when you read the book of Thessalonians, for example, or the book of Philippians, you want to read the historical document in Acts to get a feel for what was going on in the city and what Paul engaged. Later on, he writes, and how he engaged them. Later on, he's going to write a letter to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians, to the Romans. And so he goes to Thessalonica, then he goes to Berea, and then he ends up in Athens and preaches in Athens and addresses them in the Areopagus. Chapter 17 is just fabulous. So spend some time and look at all the different situations that Paul is in and all the different challenges that he has and how God uses him in a powerful way to spread his message. Enjoy. Mark chapter 6, we continue our work through the Gospels. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus has begun his ministry. He has called his disciples. He is doing miracles. In chapter 6, verse 14, he, is, um, he has sent out the 12 disciples, the apostles. They are doing ministry. And now we have the death of John the Baptist. It's a very famous situation where King Herod... Uh, has a party and um, a very significant person wants the head of John the Baptist and sadly he has to get this person the head of John the Baptist. He beheads him, verse 28, brings his head on a platter, gives it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. The disciples heard it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Remember John the Baptist? 
Well, this is how he died. He was beheaded. He was beheaded. Jesus feeds the 5,000 in chapter 6. How many loaves do you have? Verse 38. Go and see. When they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. The fish are tiny and the loaves are even as tiny. We're not talking about a big loaf here or a big fish. We're talking about a small fish and a small loaf. They sat on the green grass. He took it, the five loaves and the two fish. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. And they received it. They all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces, verse 43 of chapter 6, and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This did not include women and children. The number was probably fifteen to 20,000 people. Let's say it was 10 in an extraordinarily unbelievable, impossible to believe miracle, great miracle. Jesus satisfies our souls. Jesus nourishes us. Jesus feeds us. Jesus walks on water. You've heard of Jesus doing that, haven't you? Well, it's right there in chapter 6 of Mark. He walks on water. Do not be afraid, he says in verse 50. He got in the boat. The wind ceased. He's got power over the wind and waves. He can walk on water. They were utterly astounded, as anybody would be, right? And they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, isn't that an interesting verse? Their hearts were hardened, and they didn't understand what God was doing. So you could be listening to me, and I could be explaining it to you rightly, and you could be looking at your Bible, and you could still miss the point. You could still miss the point. We have his healing the sick in Gennesaret. So he's healing people, he's walking on water, he's calming the winds and the waves, he's feeding 15, 20,000 people. In chapter 7 of Mark, he is speaking to the people. Here he is teaching. So as you look at that, just think about that as the teaching of Jesus. We see the Syrophoenician's faith in chapter 7, verses twenty. Four to 30, another miracle of Jesus. So he just keeps showing himself in his ministry of preaching, teaching, healing, casting out devils. What is he do? Why is he doing that? Because he's showing them that he is in fact the Messiah so that they'll put their belief in him. He doesn't want them to believe just to get something from him. He wants them to believe so that they will trust in him, believe in him and follow him. So this is always about a personal relationship, never about what I'm going to get from God. Okay, God, this is what I want from you. He heals a deaf man at the end of chapter 7. At the beginning of chapter 8, believe it or not, he feeds another group of people, this time 4,000. How many loaves do you have? Seven. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, chapter 8, verse 6. He took the seven loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them, he gave them to the disciples, they set them before the crowd, a few small fish, blessed them, set it before them. Everybody was satisfied. Seven baskets instead of 12. 4,000 people. No telling how many people. Probably more than 10, 15,000 again. Immediately he gets into the boat and he goes to another district. So we see the movement of Jesus. Read these scriptures carefully and slowly. We see what he's doing. As you're reading, appreciate who this person is 
and then think about where you stand with him and your relationship with him also. God bless you in your reading of the Word of God this week in 2 Samuel, Acts, and the Gospel of Mark. We'll see you next week for the Word of God. God bless you.